Hello and welcome to another edition of Another Bottle Down. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Rayshap. We come at you every week live from Austin, Texas. Uh, Today, we actually have an interview from earlier this past week with Bob Lindquist, who is based in the central coast of California. He is founder and winemaker of Cupe Wine Cellars, and they were one of the original uh, promoters and amazing winemakers of uh, the Rhone varieties. So by Rhone varieties, we mean Syrah, Grenache, Morved on the reds, and then Roussan, Marsan, and Viognier on the whites. And we're going to learn a whole lot more about all of those from Bob, from the man himself, and so, without further ado, uh, this is Bob Lindquist from Cupe Wine Cellars. I hope you do enjoy. Sure, yeah. My name is Bob Lindquist. I'm the founder, winemaker, partner in a winery called Cupe Wine Cellars on the central coast of California. And I'm really looking forward to digging into what the central coast and Santa Barbara County is all about. And uh, it's a true honor to have you in the co-op studios because you have been one of the the, the pioneers, one of the founding fathers of the Rhone varieties, and, and we kind of call that the you know you're one of the original Rhone Rangers. Yeah. Um, can you take us back to what was going on in the '70s, um, and then you kind of set up shop and you started your winery in in the early '80s, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Take I us was, back to that time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I've been in the wine business my whole adult life. Uh, right. I, I grew up in Orange County, went to UC Irvine, and when I got out of school, I was a social science major, didn't know what to do with my life, and I liked wine. Um, And I got a job with this uh, small advertising company in Orange County. One of our clients was a wine shop. One time I did some work for the guy, and he at the end of the work, he said, you know, do you mind if I pay you in wine instead of in money? And I said, I like wine, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so he gave me some bottles that were, you know, 8 to $10 a bottle, where my budget was 2 to $3 a bottle. Right. And I took the bottles home and opened them and couldn't believe how good they were. You know, so that was... Uh, that was kind of my light bulb moment, if you will. Right, right. And, I love uh, I love hearing people's light bulb moments because we all have them. Yeah. What? So, so you you were bitten by the bug, and did it originally start out by with California wine, or was it wines from all around the world? And, uh, and I think coming at the the wine world with a retail perspective, you know, those experiences that you had in the early days is very valuable, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It did, it did start with California wine. In yeah. fact, that light bulb wine was a Simi Vineyard nineteen seventy Cabernet Sauvignon. Wow. And uh, but then from literally the next day. I became obsessed with right. with wanting to learn more about wine. So, it, it's it's something that was you know basically a hobby that turned into a job, right? <laughs> and then turned into a life. Yeah. yeah. So, so what was I mean the, the 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 California wines that you were tasting at that time? What was it? Was it still was it originally Cabernet and and Chardonnay? Yeah, mostly Cabernet, Chardonnay, Zinfandel, and mostly from yeah. from from Napa Valley. Or what, mostly, were you tasting? Yeah, Napa Valley, Sonoma. You know, a little bit from like the Sierra foothills or the Santa Clara Valley. You know, kind of the traditional areas for uh, growing grapes in in California at that time. Right, and uh, so that's what my you know initiation in, right. into California wine was. But I also I became obsessed with learning about where these grapes came from and started reading wine books. And of course, it all points back to Europe. Right. And, and so I I really branched out and kind of cut my teeth on, you know, Bordeaux and Burgundy and, and uh, Mosul and Rhine and, and Rhone eventually and um, le- learned Right. About those wines along the way as well. So which of those regions kind of, was it in the Rhone Valley that you were struck by something additional? Like this is not being done uh, in other places and, and I yeah. need to do this? Yeah, and, and, and that wasn't initially, but uh, uh, long story short, I, I, I mentioned growing up in Orange County and, right. and starting there, but, but uh, I landed a job with a winery called Zaca Mesa. 
which right. is one of the pioneering wineries of, of uh, Santa Barbara County in 1979. And one of my jobs at Zaca Mesa was to call on, we had a handful of house accounts around the state that we sold directly to. And on my first trip to the Bay Area, uh, my uh, mentor and boss at Zaca Mesa, the assistant winemaker, Jim Clendenin, said, when you're in the Bay Area, go to this store called Kermit Lynch in Berkeley right. and buy this, this, you know, I, I've just got his newsletter and I, I want to, you know, mixed case of this, this, and this, and you should buy a mixed case for yourself. And and I went to Kermit's store and uh, met Kermit, and he he was the the guy who really got me turned on to Rhone's. Uh, I liked I liked Rhone. I liked Syrah from the right. Rhone already, but I didn't know a lot about it. Right. But I had never had Marsan. I had not had Roussan. And Kermit Lynch, for folks listening out there who who don't know the name Kermit Lynch, uh, is relatively famous for uh, traveling around wine country and trying to discover gems that that in this country were not available or, you know, these, these very famous chateau or uh, tiny farmhouse uh, places out in the middle of nowhere. That, and then he's uh, really made a move to import these, you know, kind of unique flavors and, and, and wines that were uh, not before represented, right? Right, right. He was the real champion of kind of uh, uh, wines outside of the, 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 the normal big importers' right. wines. Right. Uh, he was he was one of the original uh, Roan Roan proponents. Right, and because it was not represented well uh, at that time. Yeah, yeah. So then, where, so when did you decide to? So this was the seventies, right? This was in nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, was it a quick uh, move to 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 have a winery and to pretty, to make these wines? Yeah, pretty much. We we uh, at Zaca Mesa, we had made the decision to plant Syrah, right? And which which I was a part of that you know decision process, and. Um, and in the in the years the, the couple of years after that i decided to start my own winery and i made my first two vintages at zaca mesa so basically i kept my day job right at zaca mesa and then you know did you kind of had a little corner of the winery yeah, or, that was it yeah. yeah i bought barrels bought grapes used their equipment used their bond you right because you have to make wine un, under a, a, a bonded winery facility and uh, and started Coupe that way, uh, right. making the 82 and 83 vintages. And when I made that 82 vintage Syrah, we were the fourth producer of Syrah in California. So that's wow. how that's how new it, it still was. Right. Why do you think, you know, from a historical perspective, why was Syrah under, you know, under uh, appreciated, under undergrown, or you know, yeah, because there, that, there, there was good, there, yeah. there, there was there was plans since the 1800s, right? Right, right. That's a good question. I think you know, Syrah just kind of got uh, pushed to the side a little bit in in favor of mostly Cabernet Sauvignon and Zinfandel, right. Right. And 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 actually, another great petite Syrah was actually more popular than than Syrah was. Right. Um, I just think it was something that that just kind of naturally evolved. You know, when it evolved. Right. Why it didn't evolve earlier? There probably just weren't the right European or French pioneers. You know, from the Rhone Valley to come over here and set up shop at the right time. Right. You know. So well, we'll talk about kind of the challenges of these Rhone varieties too. Mm-hmm. But I want to. I want you to still, you know, kind of finish this trajectory in the '80s. So you set up shop. You, you're the fourth Syrah producer. Um, there was something that that really intrigued you to then uh, do other Rhone varieties, right? Yeah, yeah. And and from the beginning, I also made Chardonnay because I, I needed something to help kind of pay the bills. And, right. and I knew Chardonnay in Santa Barbara County is a great area. For Chardonnay, in right. fact, that's the variety along with Pinot Noir right. that has really put Santa Barbara County on the map. Um, but I knew I could sell Chardonnay. I wasn't sure about Syrah. Um, and then as I developed a market for Syrah, right. my uh, you know I, I wanted to branch out into other Rhone varieties. Right. And right. because of our cool climate in Santa Barbara County, I felt that the northern Rhone sensibility was really more appropriate than the Southern Rhone sensibility. Right. In other words, more leaning towards single varietals like Marsan and Roussan and Syrah right. and Viognier. 
right. than, than, the, than the blends, which the Southern Rhones are, are mostly based on. Right. I, I think that in the U.S., I, I hear a lot of folks kind of lumping all of the Rhone varieties in together. And I'm really happy to hear you say this, you know, the thought of Northern Rhone varieties uh, which is your, you know, really heavy on your Syrah. The Grenache, Grenache is not really found up there. Right. And on the white side, Marsan and Roussan uh, with white Hermitage right. and Viognier, which is Condrieu. Exactly. Whereas Grenache Blanc really dominates the Southern Rhone. Correct. So, you know, so this idea that you had a little bit of a cooler area led you to those, to Marsan, Roussan, Viognier, and Syrah. Right. It was a more natural fit. Yeah. As it turns out, we we have this pretty unique climate where we are on on the central coast. Yeah. And even late ripening varieties and even even varieties like Grenache, like Morved, like right. Grenache Blanc, you know, do well there. Right. But but they they came later. Yeah. Yeah. Were you always so you you started out at Zacameso. When was the move to go to um your winery now is on Bien Nacido Vineyard, which is right. a very famous vineyard. Right. Uh, did that happen relatively quickly? It, it took a few years. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I mentioned before, I made my first two vintages while I was still at Zaca Mesa. And then I left Zaca Mesa because now my my responsibilities getting Coupe going right. were a full-time job. Sure. Uh, and I, I started off by leasing space in other wineries to make my wines. Right, right. And um, the owners of Biennacito Vineyard, I had recently met with them and, and talked to them about grafting over some of their vineyard to Syrah. Right. So we had this kind of relationship building. They knew I was looking for a full-time home to make the wines. Right. And they approached me with the, the concept of building a winery on their property for us. Right. And was I interested in that? And I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that sounds. In other words, you you'll you'll spend the money and and I'll pay you back over time. Yeah, that that sounds like a great concept. So, right. Yeah. Well, well, that relationship is, uh, and you know, I have that as a running theme through through this show is kind of that relationship between the vineyard and and the business side of the vineyards and that of the winery, uh, where you know I think a lot of consumers lump them the two things together in their head, but. Um, they're, they're really quite kind of separate in their own specialty. And a lot of wineries sure. kind of, you know, um, I don't want to say outsource, but, you know, it was probably a comfort to you that, that, the, that the vineyard folks, you know, really specialized in that. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, great. Can, can let's, so then you've been there since? 1989. Wow. So uh, just to, to finish up the thought on yeah, that is, yeah. is uh, friends of mine, uh, I mentioned Jim Clendenin earlier. He he had started. He, he was my boss at Zaca Mesa. He had started his own winery called Obon Climat. Right. And he was looking for a permanent home for to make his wines. Right. So when the Bienacito people approached me, I said, "That sounds great. Do you think I could talk to Jim about going in on this and, and winery kind of, as yeah, well?" Right. And and they said, "Oh, sure. That sounds like a good idea." So. So we form this uh, co-op. So it's 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 kind of nice that I'm here at Co-op Radio. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we form this co-op uh, that that we call Clendenin and Lindquist Vintners uh, to to build a winery and um, make our wines. They're they're two independent businesses, but so the, under under one roof. So that's the kind. That's the that's the official you know bond. That's the official company that that the that has the bond, and then you mm. kind of create the the coupe label right, under right. That. And and as the winery has grown, as our different wineries have grown, we've we've increased the number of bonded wineries under one roof. Okay, we now, we now have four. Oh wow. Um, but but it it but it it all works and it all uh, it is it, is the same cooperative spirit right. that we well, started that, with that symbiosis and i'm sure that you appreciate being in like a you know a community of you know your friends and and um and and kind of creative thought as well right absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. can you uh paint us a picture of the santa barbara county and the central coast uh because i think so many people lump california in with napa valley mm-hmm. you know or, mm-hmm. or northern california and then you've got this expanse of the 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 central valley where like a lot of the you know bulk wine comes from etc right. and then 
I I see that uh, Santa Barbara County and the, and the South Central Coast is a little bit you know m- misunderstood. So so paint yeah, that, that picture. <clears throat> that's us. a good point. Yeah, and, and unless you spent any time there, it, right. it, it it really is misunderstood because people think when they think further south in California, they think warmer. Right. Yeah, but but it really that's not the case in 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 our part of the Central Coast. We're, right. Just to put it in kind of geographic perspective we're, we're three hours north of los angeles four hours south of san francisco and then right. the winery is about 15 miles from the pacific ocean right we're near the town of santa maria which is the is in the northern part of santa barbara county right and what really sets the area apart uh it's the only place on the west coast where the mountains and valleys run east west instead of north south and that's really the key to the quality of our of our wines is right these, what what are effectively open windows to the Pacific, and that's what cools it down. Right. So during the summertime, when it's hot inland, it pulls in the the coolness off the ocean. Right. And we get fog, we get cool breezes, you know, all summer long. Right. And uh, and then in September October, when it starts to cool down inland, we start getting more high pressure. Right. And and kind of warmer, brighter, clearer days. Yeah. Uh, so we have this long, cool growing season in the summer, right. ideal for early ripening varieties like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Right. And then I would lump things like Albarino and Viognier, which are early ripening as well, into that. And then we have this brilliant weather in September, October, allowing Syrah, Grenache, Roussan, uh, even even a variety like Nebbiolo, which, right. which Jim makes uh, to to ripen properly year after year after year, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So I want to I want you to kind of I want to dig in a little bit more, and I can post a map of Santa Barbara County and the South Central Coast on the Co-op blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have Santa Maria is a little bit further north than the Santa Ines Valley, right? Right, right. So, but but it's still the key is those east west mountain ridges that bring the, exactly, it, it creates these cool corridors. So, um, so you have Santa Maria uh, AVA, which is mm-hmm. where where your your winery and Bienacito is, right? And then a little bit further south, you have the Greater Santa Ines Valley. Can you right. talk about like how that breaks up? We know it's 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 that as well as like fifteen miles from the ocean. Yeah, the the Santa Maria Valley and the Santa Ines Valley were the two original AVAs yeah. Yeah. Appalachians in in Santa Barbara County. And both are, are quite large right. Appalachians, and, and there's a, a lot of microclimates and, and kind of potential for sub-Appalachians, especially in the Santinez Valley, because right. there's a lot of different little pockets and little mountain valleys and so forth. So over time, as most wine-growing areas do, it has evolved, yeah. and now new AVAs have, have occurred in not in the Santa Maria Valley, but in the Santinez Valley. Yeah. Um, so the first of these AVAs was Santa Rita Hills, which is the western side of the San Inez Valley, which is a lot cooler than the eastern side. Right. Um, in fact, when you when you drive from west to east, going from the city of Lompoc towards the city of Santa Inez, or the town, it's not really a city. It is said that every mile you drive east, the temperature rises one degree, and right. and and, it, and that kind of happens. Yeah, it's not it's not uncommon to go from sixty five degrees in Lompoc, twenty miles east, and have it be eighty five degrees in San Inez. So, really, wow, yeah. that's remarkable. Yeah. So, were you thinking about that when you were, um, you know, when you were kind of uh, uh, thinking about Syrah and thinking about some of the, you know, these these cooler climate Rhone. Uh, Rhone Rhone varieties, and you know, I sent it. So, so the um, Santa Rita Hills is really known for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. But then, right. as you get a little bit further east, with a little bit warmer, it starts to become more suitable to Syrah. Yeah, exactly. And and there are wonderful Syrah plantings in the Santa Rita Hills right. area. But but an area that's really kind of starting to make a name for itself is Ballard Canyon. Yes, which is which they have decided that Syrah is you know, the grape that they're going to hang their hat on yeah. in, in Ballard Canyon, and, and rightly so. It's it's the next, um, as you're going from west to east, it's the next Appalachian after Santa Rita Hills. Yeah. 
And then now there's a new appellation called the Los Olivos District, which kind of encompasses the main heart of the main part of the San Inez Valley. So Los Olivos, Santa Inez, uh, Solvang, that, that area, Ballard. Right. And then to the very eastern edge of Santa Inez is, a, is the warmest right. section. And, and that area, they're, they're kind of hanging their hat on Bordeaux varieties in that area. It's called Happy Canyon. So those, those are kind of the main... And now there's even another new little appellation that's getting ready to be approved in in uh, the Alisos Canyon area, and this and this is the kind of thing that happens in all wine growing areas. Right, it evolves, and you figure out which grapes do best in which areas, and and of course with with climate change, that's even changing. It's changing. So 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 we're we're kind of you know thinking on our feet, uh, <laughs> right? As as these things uh, go along. So, um, and, and that's happening in the Rhone Valley too. I mean, just a, a couple months ago, there was a little village that was kind of promoted uh, and uh, to, to actually be allowed to call themselves the village name instead of, uh, you know, Cote du Rhone. Right. And, um, and so that, that's kind of happening there in the, in, the, in the old world as well. If folks have not um, tasted Southern California Syrah or, you know, or these wines, can you kind of give your impressions as to what, you know, what the tastes are in, in difference and in, in contrast to your own counterparts? Well, sure. First, I'm going to correct you. We're okay. Not, we're okay. not Southern it's California. Not Southern California. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Southern Central Coast. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, 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 and certainly we're, we're, we're south of, of Napa Valley and so forth, but, right. but it's really unique. Right. Uh, and we, we kind of feel like Southern California starts uh, you know, around the, the the town of Ventura, which is you know about an hour and a half south of where we are. Right, right. Um, and and there and there are Southern California wineries in the sure. kind of Temecula region. Right. You know, so that very very different. Climate. Very different. Okay. So so Central Coast is is really kind of the key. Right. And um, so from your perspective, you know, as far as in the glass, you what, know, what the, are the flavor Syrahs profile of in 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 contrast to to you know the the kind of icons of the Rhone Valley, et cetera. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and the key again is, is the, is the climate. Right. Uh, and I'll, 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 you'll hear me kind of keep going back and back to that because that's really the overriding qualitative aspect of, right. of, of our part of the central coast. And because of the cool climate, you get this long growing season with Syrah, with Grenache, with Roussan, right. great acidity, great freshness, great brightness. And oftentimes the wines are, you know, when I when I'll show when I show them to uh, knowledgeable sommeliers and wine professionals, they say, "Oh, these are very much these remind me a lot of wines from the Northern Rhone." Right. Especially right. when the wines have had about you know ten to fifteen years of age, then yeah. then the the differences become between Northern Rhone and wines from our area become even more indistinguishable they, they start to, to to seem more similar and right so yeah it's really cool when, when the wines are young they tend to because they're california wines and we have more sunshine yeah and we're further south you know geographically than the rome valley is right uh the the we, we get a little bit different light um so we get more sun we so the the wines tend to have a little bit more uh kind of friendly forward fruit right. characters than you would find in the northern rhone right which has maybe more spice and more kind of right. gaminess right more well. gaminess and more of that earthiness and and yeah. and, and, a, and a little more tannin I, I tend i tend to find a little more tannin in northern rhone reds than in central coast reds yeah do you do you think that that is um yeah, I mean that, that that approachability I think is a really uh, in its youth, but then the ability to age is this incredible kind of best of both worlds situation, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And ageability is is all about balance, and because of our cool climate, we get great acidity and freshness and balance, long hang time, so you get physiological ripeness right. in the grapes at at lower sugar levels yeah. than you do in warmer areas. Yeah. So you get this flavor buildup, you know, over 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 the long growing season that uh, is is really appropriate for ageability. Absolutely. Uh, if you're just joining us, my name is Mark Rayshop. This is another bottle down and we are talking with Bob Linquist, uh, founder of Cupe Winery in uh, the Santa Maria Valley. And we are going to take a short break. We need to take a short break and we'll be right back.
Okay, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio. Uh, we're here with Bob Linquist, who is founder of Cupe and one of the uh, Roan Rangers and and one of the uh, founding fathers of Syrah and the Roan varieties. Uh, Bob, thank you again for being here. Um, let's let's kind of delve into you know so current day Cupe. Uh, we're still on Bien Nacido Vineyard in the right. Santa Maria Valley. Um, can you kind of give us a a, a um, paint the picture of the winery and you're still relatively small for being around so long, right? Yeah, I would I would I would say we're kind of on the large side of small. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I make about thirty five thousand cases annually total. Yeah. And, yeah. and which which to some people might seem like a lot of bottles of wine, but that's <laughs> that's really that's really not that that big. Right. But but you know, in California we have everything from, you know, garagists who make, you know, five hundred cases of wine right. up to, you know, Ernest and Julio Gallo, who all of my production would only get the bottom of one of their tanks wet. <laughs> you, know, you know, so that's so that's kind of the the range. And I guess a little bit more in your neck of the woods, like Jay Lore is. I think last statistic I saw at about a million cases. Yeah, they're the they're as far as I know the largest winery in, in our part of the Central Coast. Correct. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so wow. So so okay. But still, uh, you have enough to. Uh, be supplying the you know a, a good number of markets in the U.S. And yeah, we have national distribution. We're in uh, we we are now in fifty states, oh, great. <laughs> which, which is awesome. which is uh, kind of amazing. Yeah, and and when I say that, you know, the there's only about maybe twenty of those fifty states that are kind of real active markets where, you know, we we sell a fair amount of wine, right. and the other thirty, you know, maybe order a little bit of wine once or twice a year, that kind of thing. Right, right. And then we also export about eight percent. Of okay. our of our production as well to to a few markets. Yeah, uh, is it growing in in China and Asia or it uh, it, it it is growing in 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 China and Asia yeah. and uh, and it was growing in Europe until the dollar got so yeah. strong. Right and now it's kind of stalled a little bit, but uh, our our traditional. Uh, strongest export market has always been the UK. Okay, and uh, with with Brexit and with the strength of the dollar, uh, you know, that's affected sales there a little bit. But, right. but these things tend to ebb and Ev- flow, and and you know, it, it'll it'll all change again. Absolutely, and and so and then as far as kind of like what you make at the winery, we've been talking about Rhone varieties, but is Syrah really the the bulk of what you do? Yeah, about two thirds yeah. of my production is Syrah, and and I make a number of different Syrahs. Right. The one I make the most of, we just simply call Central Coast Syrah, comes from both Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County grapes. Right, right. And that one wine is close to you know forty to fifty percent of our annual production, depending on the yields and the right, market right. and so forth. There's a few little variables in that. And then and then I also make Chardonnay. I think I mentioned that earlier, but sure, yeah. Chardonnay paid the bills back in 1982, and in, in 2017 it still helps pay the bills. Of it's, course, it's, it's, it's a Santa Barbara is a great place for Chardonnay, and it's a uh, still very much a Chardonnay yeah. world. So. Yeah. Do you, do you and and you have probably not seen. And I feel like your Chardonnay is um, you know of the ilk where you're not seeing that lashback about you know about the anything but Chardonnay sort of movement. I mean, it's stayed strong probably throughout the time, it, right? It very very much has. Yeah, yeah it's continued to grow. Uh, every, every year since I, I first made it and, yeah. and we continue to find new markets for it and right wonderful yeah, yeah. so um, let's delve into a little bit the you know kind of your portfolio we talked you, you know you mentioned this workhorse Syrah the Central Coast Syrah right. which is 2014 now right. uh, in the market and um, and that kind of gives you this comfort almost to, to have your iconic wine and then to play with other things what else are you doing well our our, our two top Syrahs come from our two top Syrah vineyards. One right. one of them being Biennacito Vineyard. We make a wine called Biennacito Hillside Estate, right. which, which we tasted the 2010. And then uh, my wife and I planted a vineyard in the Edna Valley, which is in uh, San Luis Obispo County, but still another one of those east-west 
running valleys and uh, so still a very much a cool climate growing area right. uh, we call it the Sawyer Lindquist vineyard she's Sawyer I'm Lindquist yeah and uh, we have about 40 acres planted there and I make a, a single vineyard Syrah bottling from that vineyard as well and then I do a blend of those two vineyards that's 75% Bienacito, 25% Sawyer Lindquist that we just simply call Santa Barbara County yeah. Syrah. So those four Syrahs, those two single vineyards, the Santa Barbara County and the Central Coast Syrah are the four Syrahs that we market yeah. nationally. How, uh, you know, when you get into the more um, site-specific Syrahs, what can you give us a, a, a you know, a um, just a taste of the, you know, the, the what, how the wine changes as you're, as you're getting into these more kind of special wines? Sure. Yeah. Well, they're both cool climate sites. Yeah. Very, very, very kind of extreme for, for growing Syrah. And, yeah. and in fact, when when a winemaker from the Rhone Valley comes over to visit and I take him on a tour around Bia Nacido Vineyard, he, he, they're, they're, they're almost always you know, so impressed with how can you grow Pinot Noir right here yeah. and grow Syrah that tastes like this right next to it. Yeah. How, how is that possible? <laughs> and and it, it, it is a, a pretty unique situation. So in these cool growing areas, they're really best Known for Pinot Noir, right? Uh, Syrahs are very elegant. They're they're they have soft tannins. They have great acidity. They have nice freshness. Yeah, spicy characters. Um, really pretty, uh, kind of dried raspberry aspects. Right. Yeah, and and, uh, and and then great ageability. Right. So so kind of the opposite of your really jammy fruit bomb right. style that you might get from warmer areas. Correct. Yeah. 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 Very, very much their own elegant, uh, expressions. Yeah. And, um, okay. So wonderful. And the, and, and the Edna Valley, um, th- those two Syrahs, do they differentiate in, in any sort of way? Do you get more spice out of one or? Yeah. Yeah. I, I we get a little bit more pepper in the Edna Valley fruit. Right. And, and a little bit more power in the Biennacito fruit, a, a little bit more kind of licorice and meat right. um, with, with Biennacito. And part of that, I think, has to do with age of vines. Okay. But, uh, um, yeah, the, the Edna Valley fruit has its it, – we also farm that vineyard biodynamically, which I think helps add to the expression that those grapes give. Right. Right, and there's an elegance to to that type of farming, and there's an elegance to the grapes that come from from that vineyard. Yeah, I want to get into that um, in a little bit here. The, your, your, we might your, need another hour yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we start del- delving into that. biodynamics. But uh, right, um, yeah. I, I want your the I want your impression on whenever I taste your wines, I think that the integration of oak is always so good. You know, your your um, you know playing with the with the wine making is 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 very subtle in my opinion and um and and you've got you know a lot of experimentation with Syrah now with larger format barrels mm-hmm. and 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 larger oak to kind of get the right balance what i just like your your impression as to how you think about that and what you do yeah well from the beginning i've been a barrel oriented winery right. uh, and and when i say barrel i mean barrique you know 228 liter 60 gallon barrels that we we use those pretty much exclusively right and um, every year I buy new barrels, and I use new barrels for certain wines, right. and then they get cycled down. Yeah. And, and so something like our Central Coast Syrah is all made and aged in these small barrels, but it's all neutral barrels, neutral meaning at least three or four years old. So they've kind of given up all of their oak aroma and flavor already. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, our, our single vineyard wines have a real high percentage of new oak, and and certainly Chardonnay has a high percentage of new oak. Right. And are you are you kind of constantly asking yourself, hey, how do I keep this in balance? With you know, what percentage you know of new oak do you kind of incorporate to then you know? No, luckily I learned I learned what that formula. I don't formula is probably not the right word. Right, right. I, But I learned what the what that balance was uh, early on, and and we've just kind of stuck to stuck it. Stuck to that. Yeah. And 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 it's. It's no big secret, and, yeah. and you know the, the the French had figured it out long before I did, <laughs> right. and and uh, and they they had perfected you know the 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 barrels and the types of barrels for certain types of wines, yeah, and uh, so I just kind of re- really just kind of followed their lead, right. Um, 
Very cool. So let's um, let's get into the, the other things that you make. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about Syrah, but you do Grenache, and uh, maybe let's start with the whites. The yeah. because there's there's incredible whites, and we tasted actually um, a a Marsan from your library from 2006, which yeah. which was wonderfully balanced and still so vibrant and almost seemed young. It, I would have never guessed it to be over 10 years old. Um, what what let's you know. Uh, so the, the, we, we mentioned Marsan, Roussan. What else? Uh, so let's have your impressions on those. And Yeah, the, it, I'm glad you asked because I, I think Marsan and Roussan really kind of fly under the radar. They're, yeah. they're, they're wonderful grape varieties that make great wines, and just n- not very many people know about them. Yeah. But uh, when people try them, yeah. they, as long as they like you know, an interesting dry white wine, they're going to like them. Right. Um, but the in the Northern Rhone, those are the two varieties that dominate. Right. Um, Syrah is the variety that dominates in the Northern Rhone, but if it's white wine grown in the Northern Rhone, it's made out of either Marsan or Roussan or some combination of the two. The exception to that is Condrieu, where they grow Viognier. But in all the other appellations, Hermitage, Saint-Joseph, Croze Hermitage, um, Saint-Pierre, Marsan, Roussan. Um, So we grow them, again, in these cool climate areas, and they're very expressive. Uh, elegant wines again with with great acidity, great balance, and and tremendous ageability. In fact, some of my Marsans and Roussans age even better than some of my Syrahs. It, wow. It's 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 really fun to to follow them. And can you um, talk about how they uh, complement each other? You know, they're they're they've been blended together for so long, and the, and we were talking before the show that. It just works. It, uh, it does, yeah. What what do the each of them give to the the blend? Yeah, well, Mar- Marsan is kind of like more the bass notes mm-hmm. and uh, or the bass player, <laughs> and and uh, Roussan is is more the uh, the high notes, you know, or the you know the. Either the soprano or the right. or, or, or lead or, guitar or, or the lead guitar or the trumpet or the yeah. you know the alto sax you know but uh, um, it they, they they just they they create a synergy and and what 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 I find is is uh, we're growing Marsan and Roussan in co- cool climate all things being equal right. Roussan holds its acidity better than Marsan does so I pick Marsan at a little bit lower sugar levels. Than I do Roussan. Roussan can hang on the vine a little bit longer. It's also a later ripening variety, right. and uh, and it will still have this wonderful acidity. And Roussan has more complexity, more power, uh, yeah. more richness. Um, so and, we and maybe we more of, we texture. Can, I, yeah, I, I feel like, and yeah. especially in tasting, you know, your um, your Marsan, the, the the texture is wonderful, uh, and and especially the Roussan. So right now you have in the market um, a varietal Roussan as well from right. 2010. Well, or, yeah, that that actually was no, not no, in the no, market. Well, no more. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. The, the 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 vintage that will be next in the market is 2012, which okay. is which is on its way here. But uh, uh, our distributor here had like one six pack left of the 2010, which we decided to use for a series of seminars that we're doing right. here in in uh, Texas. Um, well, lovely texture um, and and great balance. The acidity and the richness is just it just really works. Um, so so I, yeah, I, I just love that that richness. I think that Roussan is has yet to see its you know its kind of spotlight. Yeah, do you agree with that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there, no. Roussan makes great wine. Yeah, and Marsan makes very good wine. Right. <laughs> and if 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 you're growing Marsan on the hill of Hermitage. And really limiting its yields, you can make pretty great wine yeah, out of it. Right. Um, but I, but I think all things being equal, Roussan is the, the the more important of the two varieties. Right. The more difficult to grow, the later ripening, smaller yielding, all those all those things that make it uh, more challenging. But that's part of the qualitative aspect is the challenge. Absolutely. Um, and then, do you do Viognier as well? I do. Yeah. 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 We don't sell it broad market, but we. You know, we we sell we do make a small amount. Yeah, um, I have actually three different Viognier vineyards that we work with. Wow. Um, and and now we we've we've zeroed in on on one the this aforementioned uh, Sawyer Lindquist vineyard in the Edna Valley. That's where we're we're getting our highest quality Viognier. Right. 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 Uh, so we make that now as a single vineyard bottling, but we just basically sell that either locally or through our wine club. Sure. 
direct to consumer right. channel. Yeah. And and um and then on the red side we've got the four Syrahs. Right. And then uh we tasted a wonderful Grenache which uh has the same balance and vibrancy um that sometimes can be lacking and Grenache can be a little bit over overly alcoholic, etc. Yeah. yeah. What are you do you do just the one Grenache? Yeah. Yeah. So so most of the world's most famous Grenaches come from warmer climate places, right, you right. know, like Chateauneuf-du-Pape, uh, Barossa Valley in, in uh, Australia, uh, Priorat in Spain, right. Paso Robles in California. That's yeah. kind of, those are some of the areas where Grenache has really made a name for itself. And those are all warmer climate areas, and Grenache tends to be a lot more powerful yeah. and, and almost it can almost get kind of syrupy when yeah. it's grown in warmer climate. It's a wonderful grape variety for warm climate, but growing it in cool climate, and because we have this unique cool climate where, where it's cool in the summer and then nice in the in the fall. Right. Uh, Grenache is is very elegant. It's almost kind of Pinot Noir like. Right. Uh, in fact when I when I show it to people who are who are somewhat knowledgeable about wine but not, you know, maybe have, have not had experience with cool climate Grenache, they'll, they'll say, this reminds me of Pinot Noir. And it's right. like, yeah, but yeah. different, right? <laughs> right, right? Pinot Noir, but different, and half the price. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I've heard some winemakers call it, you know, warm weather Pinot Noir. Uh, yeah. But, but doing it in a cooler <clears throat> area uh, yields, you know, really interesting interesting uh, notes where the alcohol doesn't get so high and you still have that spiciness That's and that right. delicate character. What other uh, reds do you do? Uh, Morved. We make a small amount of Morved. <clears throat> excuse me, from a vineyard in uh, Los Olivos. I, yeah. I mentioned that Los Olivos district. Right. And it goes into a, a small production red wine blend that I make called Los Olivos Cuvée, which is a blend of Syrah, Morvet, and Grenache. Yeah. <clears throat> what, um, and if folks are, a lot of listeners to this show follow the Texas industry pretty well, and we're, we're uh, really kind of hanging our hat or, or thinking about Morvet in a bigger way. Uh, for you, is it, is it, a tremendous grape variety. Um, do, do you do you do you like it? Do you want to do more with it? Um, it, it in, in our area, because of the cool climate, Morved uh, really I think needs a little bit more heat mm. in the middle of the summer. Yeah. Uh, so I think it it in our area it's really best as a blending okay grape uh, rather than a standalone varietal. So do you get a little bit too harsh tannin? And no, it, it's, no it, 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 it doesn't get the intensity right. that, that, that I think Morved needs. Yeah. Um, and, and if you look at where Morved excels in France, it's in warmer growing areas where, yeah. where it gets warm in the summer, right. uh, like Bandol, right. uh, like the South. Well, if folks want more information, is it cupe.com? Cupe.com. Q-U-P-E.com, yeah. All right. And then there's going to be more specs on all the wines and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Well, Bob, the you've got this uh, a wonderful um, book that you are carrying around with you called American Roan. Uh, just came out recently, right? A couple, a couple yeah, months came, ago. Yeah, it came out at the end of 2016. Yeah. Uh, but it's been about 10 years in the making. A good friend of mine, Patrick Comiskey, wrote it. Yeah. Uh, he writes for Wine and Spirits magazine and also the LA Times. But he has been a, a proponent of... American Rhone varieties and California Rhone wines uh, for for some time. I I first met Patrick about 20 or so years ago. He was a wine buyer in San Francisco, and he had a a wonderful Rhone slant to his wine list. And uh, and then he he kind of branched out and started writing. And uh, he's a professionally trained – in other words, he went to school to learn to be a writer. Right, right. And uh, so he does a, a really thorough, interesting job. He's a, he's a good storyteller. So it, it kind of traces the history of Roan varieties in it, California? It does. And, and, and I, I learned a lot, you know, in yeah. the process, you know, uh, interviewing with Patrick and then reading the book uh, about how Roan's came about. Did, did, so he got it pretty good, right? He, he did. He did. <laughs> and did you? So did, have you? You know, did you have official um, kind of interview type things, or has just your relationship throughout the years uh, given way to to the information in the book? Because you have, do you have a chapter in it on you, or not? A, not a not, not a whole chapter, right. but there's you know many many segments about about my involvement with American Roan and right. and uh, you know because it it kind of all happened in real time during the time that I. 
Yeah. You know, the, 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 the history of Rome varieties goes back a ways, but the, the current history is not that old. It, right. it really just kind of started around the time I started. Yeah. So um, it's, think, it's, it's really been fun to be a part of. And have you had folks from other wineries or other states or other regions reach out, you know, in, in, in search of kind of guidance or any advice? Is, is, is the, 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 the share of information communal and whatnot? It, it, it is. And, and, and even um, there, there's this great event that used to take place annually, now take place every other year in Paso Robles called Hospice Right. And, and that's actually where I got to know Patrick even more uh, because he would always come to that and he'd be writing articles about Hospice to Rhone, but it's a but that is a is not just about American Rhone. That's a that's an international celebration of right. Rhone varieties. So, right. uh, kind of newer generations of French winemakers, yeah. you know, other areas as well. But you know, France is kind of the mother country for right. for all things Rhone. Uh, this younger, newer generation uh, are coming over to California and learning about what we're doing here. Right. And now they're taking a lot of that back and applying it in 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 the Rome Valley. So right. so that's been a really exciting kind of exchange of ideas and and uh, yeah. you know common goals and and uh, yeah that's been a really fun part of it. Absolutely. And and are there any other? So you know you taste wine, I'm sure, from all around the the world and and the U S. Are there any other region? Anything that struck you from the book is like. Oh wow! I didn't really know that that was kind of going on. Or are, are there any kind a, of a, li- a, a little bit? I mean, you know, be, because I've been so active sure. in in American Rhone, you know, and there's another uh, the the Rhone Rangers is a is a organization of American right. strictly American Rhone producers. Right. So I you know I've known for a long time about Syrah in Washington, yeah. or or Syrah in Arizona, or Syrah in Colorado, or yeah. you know, it, it, not none of that is new anymore. Or Viognier sure. in Virginia, you know? right? So it it it, it it's a it's a movement that has grown, um, you know, kind of, like I say, in real time with right. with with our with our growth. Yeah. So so I've kind of been there uh, uh, every step of the way. What what I learned most from this book was the the history because Patrick did so much uh, research. Uh, he really rolled up his sleeves and got in there, right. you know, and, and uh, interviewed old timers, you know, who who are you know no longer with us or right. you know you know passing along that information before uh, before they can't anymore and. Right. Uh, and he really got he really recorded that, so that was a really important part yeah. of what he did. Oh, excellent! Yeah. Um, let's uh, you know. I want your impression. You've been in the California industry for so long, uh, doing this you know beautiful Chardonnay and Rhone varieties. Where do you see like what what's in store for California wine? What's in store for 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 the Central Coast? And uh, and you know what 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 are you jazzed about? Well, I think uh, what what you find in any uh, wine growing area is 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 kind of constant evolution. You know where yeah. where people are fine tuning uh, what they do in the areas where they grow their grapes. You know the, the Europeans you know took centuries to to kind of fine tune, and and now you have this wild card of climate change. Yeah. So 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 we're all kind of you know dealing with that and scratching our heads and and you know wondering what to do next about that. And, um, and that's something that we're, you know, we're going to have to deal with. And, right. and, you know, certainly my children and grandchildren are going to have to deal with and, and how that's going to affect what grape varieties we grow where kind of remains to be seen. Right. But that's something that we're, that's on, on everybody's mind. Yeah. So does, is that kind of pushing you to do maybe some environmental projects that, that thinking about more sustainability from the environmental standpoint? And you've got a project that's kind of uh, uh, heavily based in kegged wine, right. which limits a lot of the, you know, the, the it waste. limits a lot of the packaging. The packaging. Right, right, right. Yeah, we, we, we started this about seven years ago now. We started putting wine in stainless steel, uh, returnable, refillable kegs. Right. And basically just, you know, just think beer keg, you yeah. know, you tap into it and you have a, a tap handle and the wine comes flowing out and, and it's, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a, it, and, and it's a real trend. We, right. we, we started, as I mentioned, seven years ago and every year our sales of keg wine has gone up yeah. and demand has increased. 
And between 2015 and 2016, our keg business doubled in, wow. in one year. And in 17, it's not slowing down. You right. know, we're, we're, we're getting demand from all over the country now where it used to be just kind of more West Coast Based and local. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're shipping kegs to Texas. And yeah. and the, the, the challenge is, um, well, it's not really a challenge, but but part part of the of the logistics, I guess. Yeah, would, there's you an know, ad- added step. Yeah, the, the the kegs have to go back, and, right. and uh, you know, and 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 a lot of wine buyers were kind of put off by that at first, right? And and you and you have seen some wineries using one way, you know, recyclable, plastic recyclable right. kegs, but. There's no such thing as recycling plastic. If you yeah. make something out of plastic, that plastic never goes away. Right. Maybe you can repurpose it, right. but that plastic never goes away. So uh, we're, we're very much involved in this uh, organization called the Plastic Pollution Coalition, right. which uh, you could look up online uh, as well. We're supporters of that. And uh, the, the, the main goal of the PPC, well, I'll just short, use the short sure, term, right. yeah. uh, is to, to, to eliminate single-use disposable plastic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of one plastic straw at a time kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And and yeah. so, uh, you know, for folks listening out there in Austin, Texas, you know, we have a few uh, kegged wine is growing. The Alamo Draft House is people don't realize this because they're watching a movie and they just get brought a glass, glass of wine. But that's all coming out of keg. Nice. And, and Whole Foods as well is, has a really uh, strong keg wine program. So yeah. there are people there. There's there. I think that there's Austin could be a very good market for it. Yeah. And, yeah. Whole Foods. Foods has really been been really behind it, and yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's nice. And um, and then you know, so is that so? That's a major uh, uh, environmental factor is the shipping and the packaging of wine. I mean, otherwise, right. it's a relatively sustainable industry. I mean, exactly. It's 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 uh, you know, you're not you don't have all those bottles, corks, labels, foils, right? And then you you it's also lighter weight, so the carbon footprint. And and it's reusable over right. and over and over again. Right. And uh, the you just have to have an efficient way of getting the kegs back to California. Right. And and what you're starting to see is you're starting to see filling stations yeah. springing up in different parts of the country. Yeah. Where the where the kegs are actually getting filled, you know, in in the local area. Right. Or or even better, you know, local wineries. Right, making their own kegs, right. you know, where they, you know, it's kind of all, all part of the uh, farm to table, you know, absolutely, two hundred mile radius right. <laughs> movement, you right? Know, so, well, um, any final thoughts for us, uh, Bob? It's been a real pleasure having you here, and you know, I know that you're always busy and you come to town. Um, you know, telling the story is is part of making the wine, right? Yeah, I think so, and and I, you know, I, I think. The most important thing is if you like wine uh, and you like California wine, is to 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 not box yourself into just Chardonnay, Cabernet, and right. Merlot and Pinot Noir. Right. You know, branch out a little bit, find a good wine merchant. Yeah, there are plenty of those around, sure. and uh, uh, and let them know what you like, and and uh, and start experimenting. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, really, the best to you and 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 all of the future years at Cupe and. Um, Uh, And thank you for coming to the co-op studios. It's a pleasure to have you here. My pleasure. All right. If uh, you've been listening to Another Bottle Down, my name is Mark Rayshap. This is co-op radio, K-O-O-P dot O-R-G. We've been talking with Bob Lindquist from QPA and in uh, the central coast of California. And uh, you can find all other information at uh, K-O-O-P dot O-R-G. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week.